you know, one of the things, as you know, being where you are, is it's about critical thinking, expanding your mind, asking the next question, the why. And, I, you know, I, I look at football the same way. Hello, and welcome back to The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Management Podcast, coming to you live from Radio Row at the Phoenix Convention Center in downtown Phoenix, Arizona. Scott Rosner, joined by Greg Cosell. Greg is a longtime employee of NFL Films, has decades of, <laughs> decades, Greg, right? Decades. Of, of film expertise, you know, has hosted shows on, on, and on ESPN, um, and what, actually one of the, the hidden best shows um, that people, some people may have never seen, but now would, would explode. Right, Fully we were a little explode. bit ahead of our time I think you're a because bit we ahead started time. NFL matchup uh, in 1984, believe it or not, yeah. which was the infancy of ESPN, and uh, obviously cable had just started, and there were certainly not as many channels. Social media did not exist. The internet really didn't exist, um, and uh, yeah, so we've been on every single year since 1984. It, it is pretty amazing that actually, uh, uh, and it's on, and, and the time it's on uh, is not overly favorable but as most people now know on their remotes there's a blue button and you can press that blue button and talk and say nfl matchup and it will show you when it's on so prior to the blue button yes i remember hitting record right on the vcr and then the dvr to actually watch you guys and, you know, that just sparked a memory in my mind that when I first got a VCR, okay, this was back in the day, maybe it was 1980, 1981, when they first came out. And I remember getting one and then going and renting my first movie. And the first, it's crazy, I just remembered this, the first movie I rented, which I had seen, or maybe I hadn't seen it because it came out when I was 13. The first movie I rented was Easy Rider. Wow. How about that? There's actually a great book you may be familiar with about um, movies in the 70s called e- Easy Riders and Raging Bulls. Are you, are you familiar I with that book? I am not. It's two of my favorite movies, Richard, Raging Bull. Richard Schickel or Richard... I forget. It's one of those big-time movie guys. Okay. Um, it was a great book because it really spoke about... It started with Easy Rider in 1969 and ended with Raging Bull in 1980 and kind of spoke to... That, that sort of halcyon period of Hollywood directors where they really had control as opposed to studios. Hmm. Interesting. So they were auteurs, I believe. They were, the I word. believe they were auteurs. Yeah, yes, that's that's yes. very good. That would be the word. So, Greg, tell us about the evolution. I mean, you've been hosting the show for a long time. And, and by the way, so to, what I was to, so to finish my thought from before, recording it and then watching it when no one else was watching it right. made me sound like I knew what I was talking about, right? So thank you for that. Ah. You, you allowed me to fool a lot of people with my with my knowledge right. of football over the years. So I appreciate that. No, but but tell me about how the show has evolved over time. Uh, <laughs> I would imagine that if I looked back at, at those early shows, you know, which I produced and produced it for years until six years ago when I went on air, um, I would imagine I'd probably cringe, laugh, cry, any of the above. Um, <laughs> Because really, we started from scratch and really had no idea what we were doing. And it, because of the time period with the fact that cable was not yet big, 
that you really could play around and put shows on. ESPN did not have football yet. Mm -hmm. You know, this was back in the day when everybody kind of made fun of ESPN because it was Australian rules football, which hey, nobody don't knew. mess with Australian right. rules football. Nobody knew what it was. You never broke that down, <clears throat> did you? No, no, no. no. Okay. And um, so it was really trial and error. And what really changed the whole show and changed my world was when we got the NFL coaching tape, which means you can see the all 22 from a wide sideline shot. And then from the end zone, you could see all the line play and linebackers and other things. Um, and that happened in 92. And that was kind of the Rosetta Stone. All of a sudden, everything became clear. And I had to really learn the game that way. And just so people understand, you're always learning. You know, I never try to present myself as if I know everything about football. You know, you're always learning. I've been very fortunate in my career to get to speak to a lot of coaches, personnel people, do a lot of things that have allowed me to learn more and more and more. But that was really the turning point for the NFL Matchup Show, 1992. It's also the year it became a weekly show. Initially, it was more of dealing with the Monday night football game. Right. It was Monday night matchup. Right. And then it became a weekly show called NFL Matchup. So who were some of the folks early on that really took you under their wing and allowed you to develop your football knowledge in those early days? Yeah, well, a couple of things. Number one, the main individual, and I was so incredibly fortunate, was Bill Walsh. I got to know him well, um, spent four or five different times with him. He really taught me the quarterback position. So when I watch quarterbacks, I'm always thinking of, of Bill Walsh in the back of my mind. And again, that doesn't mean I'm right in every evaluation. No one is. Mm -hmm. When all said and done, no matter how many metrics become advanced or refined, it's still human beings evaluating human beings. So people will be wrong. I'll be the first to admit I've been wrong. And that's the way it goes. Uh, but he's the one who really taught me. Uh, the, the second sort of turning point in my career was 1998 or 99, when Steve Sable, the uh, unfortunately deceased president of NFL Films, came to me and said, you have to start going to the combine, the scouting combine every year. That's That would be valuable for you. So since 98 or 99, I've gone to the scouting combine every year. That's where I've developed a lot of relationships with coaches. And that's how you keep learning, having conversations with people who know more than you. And, you know, I, I'm a big believer in that to this day. You want that input. You never want to think you know everything. I mean, I know from doing this for years and years that I know a lot. And, and my guess is most people would say that I do. And absolutely. that's wonderful to hear no, that. Absolutely. But when all said and done, I view the study of the NFL and, and studying football, whether it's evaluating college players or studying the NFL, as kind of an intellectual and academic exercise. So there's always more to learn. And when you think you know, that's when you don't know. In fact, I always tell the story to people when I'm watching tape, I always think to myself that if a coach was sitting with me, he'd be pointing out 10 things that I'm missing, mm. that I'm not seeing. That's the way I think when I'm watching tape. So one of the things that I find fascinating is as part of the 33rd team weekly yes. calls, yep. I, I'm incredibly impressed, and, and, and I do find it fascinating, what you're talking about it isn't just words. I mean, the questions that you ask of coaches, of the, you know, of the personnel folks who are on the calls um, and the different ex subject matter experts is so insightful. So you can really see it's little nuggets here right. and there, right? Um, it, it's unlikely that you're going to have a true epiphany 
right, at this juncture of your career, but it's the little nuggets well, that you seek out and the questions that you ask that it, 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 the thirst for more knowledge and to, to continue to improve, I, I mean, I see it as an observer. Well, it's funny you say that because, you know, I think much of that is probably a function of where I was very fortunate to go to college. I went to Amherst College. And, you know, this was in the 70s when a liberal arts college was considered, you know, the, the kind of place to go. Now, Absolutely. whether it is now, I don't, you know. I, oh, there's still I, a lot of Lord Jeffs out there who are. And uh, we're not even a Lord thing. Jeffs anymore, believe it or not, because Lord Jeffrey Amherst in the 1760s used some kind of poison gas to kill Indians. Oh, geez. So that got changed. We're actually the mammoths, which I can't really get my my mind around. But so be but, it. But things evolve. Right, right. right. Things evolve. Um, but anyway, the point is, so, you know, Going to a school like Amherst and majoring in American history and political science, you know, one of the things, as you know, being where you are, is it's about critical thinking, expanding your mind, asking the next question, the why. And, I, you know, I, I look at football the same way. So, And I appreciate what you said about a question I may ask here or there. I'm always thinking about, okay, why? You know, let, I'm trying to understand. It's not just, hey, I can see it too, just like we all can, but why? You know, and, and, and how is it taught? How do you go about... See, I think, to me, one of the main things I really love to know, because I always tell people that football, it's not complicated. It's detailed. So the key as a coach or as someone like myself who tries who talks about it is to take detail and explain it in a clear, concise, succinct manner. That, to me, is what it's all about. That's what a coach has to do as well. So, because it's not complicated... There's just a lot of nuance and subtlety and detail that needs to be clearly explained. That's that's a really interesting way to think about it. And I've never thought about football in, in that way. So as part of our program's orientation, in held in late August, it right. coincides nicely every year with a with a football preseason game. So we'll take our students, however, however large the incoming cohort is, 50, 60, 70 students, a third of whom, roughly, are international students who have never been to a football right, game right. before and don't understand American football. Right. And it's it's an amazingly important part of the acculturation process that said explaining football to someone who has never seen a football game before is very difficult. It's very difficult. Yes, it's very, very difficult if you have zero understanding and you're starting from scratch. But one of the great things about football is it can be enjoyed on so many different levels. You don't need to know all the nuance and detail of football to enjoy the game. Because it's, you know, obviously, and I remember reading a book about this years and years ago as to one reason why football has been so successful and has become the number one sport. And it's tied into the fact that it's a great TV sport. It's the perfect TV sport. It's the perfect TV sport because the field is... Not too big, but it's big enough. There's a lot of things going on, but there's also pauses, and the pauses are not too long. Uh, you know, and, and the the book I read compared to soccer, which has never taken a foothold in the United States as a TV sport. And I don't want to offend anybody who's a soccer person, but I'm just relaying basically what I what I read. And and I am not a soccer person, so you know. But I don't want. That's not my point is the field is very big. There's a sense when you're watching it that there's periods where it doesn't seem like much is happening. There's not a lot of scoring. And, you know, unlike hockey, for instance, hockey could be a one nothing game, but it's a condensed space that 
and there's a ton of action. Right. There's a lot going on, even if there's not a lot of scoring. So, you know, soccer is just a tough TV sport unless you love soccer. Right, right. And so, and it's funny, so you're speaking to a soccer person. Um, and it's it's interesting because a, a, a nil-nil game match can be the most boring thing you've ever seen, but because it is such a sport of nuance, right. right, to the untrained eye, it seems boring, no one's scoring. But to others, it's like, oh, this is really interesting. There's been a lot of things going on uh, back and forth in right. this match that, that you may not notice. Right. right? So, so it's interesting. And hockey is, is a different one for me. And I grew up as a diehard Philadelphia Flyers fan right. and living and dying with, with every shift. The Broad back, Street Bullies. The Broad Street Bullies. And that's when I started in Gene Hart. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? The great, great Gene Hart. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting. That game's evolved where and it's a it's not, it's not a great TV sport. Right. The puck is small. There's a lot of action. It's gotten it's a lot better, though. It has. HD has helped it a lot. And and the fact that they changed the rules. So there's less stoppages and there's less mucking it out in the corner. More, so more, you're more seeing flowing. the athletes go up and down the ice m- much more so than you used to. Great use of muck, by the way. Yes, mucking it up in the corner. Yeah, there's muckers and grinders. Yes, 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 yes. You're listening to the Columbia University Sports Management Podcast, The Cusp Show. This is Scott Rosner along with Greg Cosell from NFL Films, ESPN Matchup, weekly matchup show. Um, And here at at Radio Row in Phoenix, Arizona, in the prelude to the Super Bowl, let's turn our attention, Greg, to the Super Bowl and the game itself. Um, you're making the rounds. You've obviously, you know, probably no one better to watch to, to comment on this. What do you see heading into uh, the game? <laughs> this game to me has so many potential variables and elements that it's it, it, it's been tough for me to kind of explain in a brief amount of time. You know, because everybody wants what's the one key to this well, but, or the but one we're a podcast. Key... We don't have any commercials. I know, out, right, so. right, right, right. Um, you know, I, if, if we're trying to be a little more general. You know, I would say that the way the Eagles play offensively with Jalen Hurts in the shotgun and what they can do off of that because of his running ability, but also the way they throw the ball off of that is very difficult to defend. And this is not Steve Spagnuolo, who's the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs. This is not his first rodeo. He's a two-time Super Bowl champion as a defensive coordinator. Um he will have a plan. I, I don't know what that will be. You know, we none of us will know until we see it. But you can't just line up and play against the Eagles as if you're playing a normal offense. They're really difficult schematically to defend. And I think that how that plays out will be interesting. Now, keep in mind that even though a lot of people talk about the Eagles as a running football team and they're really, really good running the ball, they really believe in kind of old school analytics. They come out and throw the ball to get ahead, and then they run the ball, and their rushing numbers end up being very big, but they really play that way. They're more of a first-half passing team and a second-half running team because they get a lead. Mm-hmm. A stat that I found fascinating and actually came from Mike Tannenbaum was that Jalen Hurts has only thrown 22 passes in the second half with the Eagles behind. Think about that. From that's a, a remarkable a, it, number. That is an amazing number. That's an amazing number. Yeah. So you know, again, I think Jalen Hurts has had an outstanding season, but I think that the, the sense would be for defenses playing against him that we'd love to put him in a position where he, the Eagles have 
are behind mm -hmm. and that he'd have to be a drop-back passer in the second half, meaning they can't run the full dimension of their offense with all the run game elements and all those things that make them so difficult to defend, but rather he'd have to be a drop-back passer. Now, maybe he'll do it and be great. We don't know the answer to that, but no one really does. Right. So the feeling is that let's see if we can do that and let's see how it plays out. So now let's flip it. Chiefs offense, Eagles defense. Yeah, the Mahomes factor, because, you know, many are going to say that the Eagles have the best defensive front in football, and that may well be the case. And I think that they do have an advantage, particularly on the edges with Reddick and Sweat versus the right tackle Andrew Wiley and, and the left tackle Orlando Brown. But that's more situational. You know, the, so the question is, how will the Chiefs play in kind of normal down and distance situations, first and 10, second and five, where just straight pass rush is not as big a factor. Um, but Mahomes and, and his ankle will be better. Mahomes is fascinating. I'm not sure in all my years I've seen a quarterback that has the spatial awareness, the feel for where people are and where they're going to be as Mahomes. Yeah. And you know, you sort of have to factor that into the equation. I remember speaking to a defensive coordinator a year or so ago who basically said that when you play Mahomes, you have to have two defenses, your structured defense within the first two, 2.2 seconds, and then what happens after that? And that's hard. Yeah. So that's where Mahomes presents, you know, a factor where he could potentially on any given play camouflage and compensate for any weakness in his O-line versus the Eagles D-line. Yeah, no, and it's amazing his his ability. Forget the improvisation. He he is so smart. Yep, and and so aware. It's very. I mean, you you watch every snap right, that right. he's taken. He he doesn't seem to make many mental errors. No, no. The errors he makes tend to be plays where he tries to do something that he often does, right. but it, on that particular play, it doesn't work. And he, that doesn't happen very often where he makes negative plays. Yeah. See, that's the amazing thing about Mahomes. You know, he probably threw through a few more interceptions this year than usual, but still not a super high number. But for the manner in which he plays, which at times can seem like it's reckless and undisciplined, mm -hmm. he doesn't really turn the ball over. Right. And so you can live with that. you know. And you don't want to channel that and take it away from him because if he was turning it over at a much higher rate, then you'd have to sit down and say, hey, we need to channel this a little bit more. Right. But he really doesn't turn the ball over very much. Well, and if he did, he wouldn't be Patrick Mahomes. <clears throat> he wouldn't be Patrick Mahomes, right. correct. Right. Um, so that's football, the football piece of it. Um, so, and what we've got coming up this weekend. Um, something little known about you that I just found out about me about you oh my god is that you are a voracious reader i am a voracious reader well f it, yes for a long time yeah. um you know w when the foot obviously during football season i, I can't read so from mid-august until about a week or so before the super bowl i can't read because i'm working 70 75 hours a week seven days a week um but then when the season you know starting about now i'm, I'm about finish i'll finish my first book tonight per, by the way um and I just love to read and I'm past the point in my life where I read, you know, what, what would be considered important. You know, I, I did all that when I was in college. So now I just read what I like to read, which is usually mystery novels, detective novels. You know, I love police procedurals. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'll read some nonfiction. Some of it is, is mostly sports based. 
you know, but I'm past the point where I feel like, you know, I have to read, you know, Shakespeare or, or Kafka or, you know, stuff like that. I, that those, those days are over. Yeah. The, the yeah. literature courses. Yeah. I, I'm, done, I'm done, done with the literature yeah. courses. Yes. So do you read sports books? On occasion. Yeah. Such as? Well, like for instance, uh, Bill Polian actually, and you may have been on the call when he was talking about the book of Joe. Yep. So I bought that and yep. I'll read it. You know, it's not the first book. I always start, you know, my first couple of books, just so I get back into the groove, are, are usually, you know, mystery, detective, police procedurals, because that gets me back in the groove. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So let's backtrack a little bit, back to football, not right. specifically the game. Um, so the business has changed, you know, immensely uh, over the last, you know, 40 or so years that, that you have been, been doing this. Um, how has it changed, if at all, how you do your job? I'm not sure if it's changed how I do my job. It's changed in the way we present our material. Okay. Because now you have to be involved with social media. As you know, Twitter is very important in the sports world. It may not be important in the general world. I know, I think there's studies that show that only something like 25% of Americans, and that may be even high, are actually on Twitter. Right. But it's very big in the sports world. So you have, we have to be part of that. Because that's where a lot of things happen in the sports world. So it's it's not so much that we've changed, although the one way we have changed is the use of graphics. Because, you know, obviously early on the graphics were very staid, they were very static looking. You know, with all these younger people today, and not just younger people, but the people that are part of the video game generation and the, how that keeps expanding, you need your graphics to sort of keep up with that. Yeah. Because if they look like their graphics from the 1990s, kids are going to just move on. Because it's going to look like, oh, this is old school stuff. You know, I'm not interested. So, you know, fortunately, we have phenomenal graphics people at NFL Films. Because I don't do the graphics. Of you course. know, the actual, you know, I'm not pressing the buttons. Right, you're not hitting buttons. You know, and to be honest with you, because I'm older, I've never played a video game in my life. You know, not be, even Pong back in the day? No, because I'm just, you know, that wasn't part of my world growing up. But you have to stay on top of that and you have to be aware. If you want new viewers, you, you have to make it so that they're going to respond to what you do. You know, maybe people who are a little older, I'm not talking about 70, but, you know, people who are 40s plus, you know, maybe they love the graphics, but they're not watching because of the graphics. Right. But if you're 20 and we want 20-year-olds to watch... They're going to have a totally different visceral reaction to graphics than a 40 or a 50 year old. And you've got to make sure that they feel that it fits their world. Mm -hmm. So given the success of the show, has there been an element of celebrity that's come to you? Do you have, do you, do you, do you have people, and in all seriousness, do you have people stopping you and wanting to talk and fans? and that Once sort of in a while. Yeah. And, and, and you also get, of course, on, on social media, people that respond to you and you know respond to you on different levels you know i joke with people if somebody recognizes me and says hey you greg cosell and you know sometimes and and if i'm with let's say my younger daughter she'll she'll go dad but i say yeah, well i've been called worse but yes i am greg cosell right. because on twitter you get called a lot of things yeah, a lot of things you get you know but yeah so of course i do get recognized um and 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 because I have to be on Twitter. You know, I get either positive responses, more so than negative, but there's always someone who, you know, tells me I don't know what I'm talking about or I'm an idiot do or I'm a moron. Do you engage with that? Never. 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 Let it be. Never. Let it, let it you roll can't off. win that. Right. It's an unwinnable fight. You can't win. Right. So what am I, and, and again, you know what? I don't view myself that way. I, going back to when I played sports in high school and college, I view myself as a grinder who works hard. I'm not looking 
to the pat on the back. Do we all like a pat on the back? Of course, that's human nature. But that's not the way I approach my work. So I'm not, I'm not looking you know, for that. I, I, to me, my job, I don't spend my time trying to figure out how to send cool tweets. You know, I, I spend my time working. Right. You know, I, I feel that that's more, ma- more valuable for what I do. And maybe many people would like me to engage more. I don't mean engage with people who call me idiots, no. but just engage more well, on, on social, social media. media. Sure. And I just don't feel like that's the best use of my time. Yeah. So as we start to come to the end of our conversation, advice for younger students you know, and, and think about our master's degree students, right. um, people at the beginning of their careers, so they've, they've finished their degrees, they're out in the working world. What have you noticed um, that, you know, that would be helpful and words of advice for folks at the earlier part of their careers? The first thing I'd say is a couple of things. Number one, truly understand in your mind and your heart that you always have a lot to learn. Never think you know it. No matter how much you know, never approach it that way. And the second thing would be something that Dick Vermeil, when he used to come to NFL Films, because he and Ron Jaworski obviously are very close, that Dick Vermeil would always say, and I was kind of naturally like this, but for a lot of younger people, is you never get better by working less. Mm. Now, people would say you got to work smart too. Right. Ideally, you do that, but you don't get better by working less. Those are great words of advice. Mm. That's amazing. All right. Greg Cosell, thank you so much for spending some time with us this afternoon. You've been listening to The Cusp Show, Columbia University Sports Management Podcast. This is Scott Rosner. For Joe Favorito in absentia, we'll see you next time.